Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso, and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear, take it out of the driver's seat, and set more fully into the essence of who you are and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. And oh my gosh, do I have an amazing guest for you to help you do all of the above. She is Deanna Joy of Joy Knows How. Joy is an educator and a coach for multi-passionate creatives. She, herself, is also a multi-passionate creative specializing in writing, plant care, curating vintage clothing, crafts, singing and composing music, public speaking, community building, and much more. Joy and I first met when we were both speakers at the Pretty Thing Tour last November. We were instantly drawn to each other as we had a similar mission and life outlook. I wanted to have her on the show because she provides invaluable tools for multi-passionate creatives to find focus and own the fullness of who they are. From this conversation, you'll learn how to break the comparison trap, build a community, find focus, start learning creative confidence, ground your platform and purpose, and finally, how to truly see that the fact that you are a multi-passionate creative is a gift, not a burden. Oh, and P.S., a few times you'll hear her very cute puppy, Chai, chime in during the interview. He wanted to share his tips for creatives, too. (laughs) So without further ado, here she is, Deanna Joy of Joy Knows How. So, Joy, I'm just blessed to talk to you today. You are like literally doing all the things that I feel like I need. And so I'm so, so honored to have you on the show because I know so many people listening are multi-passionate creatives and could use your sage advice. So thank you for being here. Oh, it's it's my absolute pleasure. I'm blushing a little bit over here. <laughs> um, and I want to also say, you know, I'm along this journey as well because I am a multi-passionate creative. So I always like to start every interview or every opportunity where I have to speak from a space of authority. I always like to remind anyone who's listening that I'm coming from a place of learning and growing along with the community that I serve. So this is not coming from a place of me having it all figured out. But as soon as I crack a code on something, the first thing I want to do is help my community get that same knowledge that they can then implement what what works for them. So I'm on this journey as well, right alongside you, but I'm really, really excited to share some of the insights that I've gained over the years. I love that so much. I think one of the best ways we can lead is to expose the areas that we are working through. Yes. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. Not enough people do because it's like, I love it when people too are like, and I did this and then I was healed (laughs) and I changed. And it's like, yeah, that's great. Maybe you healed for that moment, but you got to keep tweaking it and working on it for the rest of your life. That's why we're on earth. So speaking of, you know, your entrance to earth, um, when you trace the lines of your life and your creative path, when you look back on it, when was the first time when you really can like pinpoint like, oh, I realized I was a creative person at this age or in this moment. It's going to sound very cliche, but in my family, um, it's kind of a known thing that I actually sang before I like put together a full sentence. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it was a Sesame Street theme song. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I've really always been this very creative being from a very young age. Uh, For the earlier part of my life, and I know you'll resonate with this, I thought I was for sure going to be a musician. I was like, I'm going to be a singer. Mm -hmm. 
this is going to be my life. Um, my father's a musician. So I always kind of thought that was going to be my path. But as I got a little bit older, around like age, probably age eight, that's when I realized I love to write. So this is really something that started from childhood with me being super creative. And I think I even started to realize I was somewhat multi-passionate when, you know, when you're at that age, you're like, your parents are like, okay, time for you to take a dance class. And like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to do tap. No, I want to do ice skating. No, I want to do <laughs> ballet. I want to do hip hop. And then, you know, and it was like, I never even cared about making it to the performance. I just wanted the experience. I just oh. wanted to take the class. So looking back on it, I can say as cliche as it sounds like, you know, shout out to Lady Gaga. I kind of feel like I was born this way. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, shout out to her today yeah. and always. I love the the idea that like you didn't care about the performance. You were more concerned with the journey. Do you find that that kind of philosophy carries you through today where you're able to stay present and in the moment and in the joy of creativity without thinking about achievement? I would say that I'm able to enjoy the journey and embrace the process when I am not in a comparison state of mind. So when I'm really focused on what is it that I can do to best serve this community that I've built and that I am building, what is it that I wish someone had told me, you know, earlier in my journey, how can I support those who are looking to me for guidance in this space? When I stay rooted in that energy, then I can absolutely embrace the journey, no matter how many things I pick up and put down and tweak along the way. If I get into a comparison trap where I start looking at people who are maybe younger than me and are already, you know, making this much or have already reached this level of exposure, then it's really, really easy for me to feel like I'm not far enough along. The good news is I recognize that and I can say that out loud. And so when I get into that comparison space, I might, you know, delete the Instagram app off my phone for a couple of weeks or go into my journal and write down all the things I've done to help the progress of my own business so that I can see it on paper and remember that like I'm doing a good job. So I would say that that fluctuates depending on my mindset, but I do strive to continue to embrace the journey beyond just where I'm headed or what I feel like success is going to be when I reach some ominous place. Right. Yeah, I know. Like the I'll be happy when or I'll be successful when theory never really works out. It's all, you know, it's on the inside. And I love this other piece that you state, which is that you write down some of the things you've achieved or done in your business, because I think not all achievements or milestones are easily explainable or visible. And so what a beautiful tip for someone out there who is in one of those comparison mind frames right now to look at the things that they've done and actually acknowledge them for themselves. A hundred percent. And that can be done at the end of every day on, you know, in a journal, or this can be at the end of the week, you know, just saying, okay, here's what I did for my business or my project, whatever it may be, you know, this week and writing down bullet points and then looking and going, oh, okay, wow, yeah, so actually I'm doing great, you know, because right. I did so much. And sometimes I think even to that point, sometimes we'll say something like, you know, you might say, oh, I released a new podcast episode this week. Yeah, but you also reached out to someone, coordinated the interview, made sure that they had everything that they needed, held the interview, you know, made the grab. There's so much that goes into it, and we often don't give ourselves credit for those smaller steps either. So 
even taking it a bit further and going deeper into what did it take for you to pull that thing off this week is also really powerful. And it's something that when I don't do that, it's easy to feel like I'm not doing enough. And when I am writing it down and reflecting and reviewing, I'm like, okay, you know, it makes me feel more grounded and rooted in the embracing the whole journey and being proud of yourself along the way. Yeah. What a simple way to build self-esteem too, you know? I, I really... Thank you. I needed that one. We kind of touched on this, but like, what are your overall views? It's something people have been talking about a lot lately, and I'm trying to think about how I've bought into the system and how it's honestly hurt my mental health. What are your thoughts about hustle culture? Oof. I feel people need to really begin to look at what it means to build an energetically aligned business. This really came full circle for me when I learned about human design, which is like learning kind of your energy type and your input and output of energy. Yeah. What are you, by the way? I'm a manifester, but the human design manifester, the aura type is really to like initiate, start things, get the ball rolling, and then kind of attract a community of people who can help that, who can keep that going. Being consistent and having consistent energy doesn't totally come naturally to me. It doesn't mean I can't dig deep and find that, but it's not my natural state. Whereas a different energy type, like a generator or a manifesting generator, they're really here to build and go, go, go and do what they need to do to make it happen. And they have a little bit more access to that consistent energy. I really think in terms of hustle culture, it's time to let that go. There may be a project that maybe you need to have, you know, a hustle day where that day you're like, all right, this thing is due. I've got to hunker down. I'm going to eliminate all distractions. And today I'm going to make sure I slept well and that I'm fed and I'm going to crunch this out. Like for today, I'm going to hustle, but then I'm going to allow myself to rest. So there needs to be more inclusiveness in this concept. Like if you are going to push yourself to hustle, are you also willing to allow yourself to rest? And I think as long as we can be inclusive and understand that it may not be a perfect balance, but there's a place for both. I feel like that's a much more healthy way for us to embrace building anything. Yeah. And let's get into what you have built and are building. You've got an incredible community for multi-passionate creatives. And the focus of that is to help multi-passionate creatives focus and make their multiple passions a gift rather than a burden. Yeah. First, Thank you for doing this. <laughs> Second, how did you figure out this was a problem and start to find the solutions in yourself and then for others? I started a blog because as a multi-passionate creative, I always felt so much pressure from everyone else around me to choose that one thing, really focus in, niche down as far as possible, and then that would lead me to success. And because that didn't come naturally to me, I felt totally like no one was talking directly to me. I kind of felt like an outcast in a lot of ways. I felt mm. just so misunderstood. And it it made me feel like, well, maybe I just won't ever be successful because for me, choosing one thing, focusing on that one thing didn't come naturally. So I started my blog as a way to give myself a safe space to just do whatever I wanted, to do all of those things, to share everything that I that I know. And so my blog 
when I first started, it was called Joy Knows How, which has snowballed into like my entire brand and now a business, which happened pretty organically. But as I was writing blog posts and figuring out what I love to talk about, I wrote a blog post called It's Time to Start Celebrating Multi-Passionate Creatives. And Mm. it's like a book was ready to come out. Like I, I almost, I feel like, you know, I had to slow down and go, okay, this is a blog post. Like, let's rein it in. <laughs> um, but that's how good it felt to just talk about this experience that was so paramount in my life that felt so not talked about enough. And then the response to that blog post is what made me continue to talk about the multi-passionate experience. So it made me realize I love speaking about this. And in fact, I have a lot to say about it. So that's kind of the foundation of all of what, what I'm building now. The community came out of very similar. I was like, okay, having a blog is great. Empowering people is great, but I want a community of multi-passionates. I want a community where no matter how many businesses, how many projects, how many ideas you have, no one's rolling their eyes at you. You know, no one's yeah. judging you or going like, oh, wow, another new idea. I wanted a community where that was a non-issue and it was a safe space. So I built it in the form mm-hmm. of my Facebook group. And over the next few months, I'm actually working on the next iteration, which is moving that off of Facebook onto a different platform, which is really, really exciting. A few things. So first I started off coaching and whenever you're a coach, you know, it's, you spend a lot of time in what you can maybe think of as like triage where you're like, just getting a feel of what exactly is it? You know, you're giving, you're giving your client that space to talk, to let it out, to share those things that maybe no one else has understood, especially for a multi-passionate creative. So when a multi-passionate creative comes to me for coaching or to work with me in that way, oftentimes it's the first time they're hearing back to them, nothing's wrong with you. It is totally okay to have multiple passions and actually to have so much raw talent that you've got options. Like we're not even talking about a lot of interest. We're talking about you have so many (laughs) options because you're genuinely talented at a lot of things. And that's a beautiful thing. But if you lack focus, it can feel like you're never going to be able to capitalize or really dig deep into any of those. So I learned that first from not only my own experience, but working with clients. Then as I opened up my Facebook community, one of the questions that I have when someone wants to enter this space is, what is your number one struggle as a multi-passionate creative? And You know, for someone who's joining my group, they may think they're just answering a question and moving on. But on the back end, I have a whole spreadsheet where I'm saving every single answer because it's very important for me to create content that's going to serve my community. And as I go through that spreadsheet and I look at the answers, the number one thing that multi-passionate creatives say, all ages, shapes, sizes, colors, and walks of life is that they're struggling with focus. It's the number one thing. So there's so much I would love to teach about. There's so much that I will teach about throughout my career. But as I stand in a space of being very humbled by being an educator and a leader of this community, if the number one thing that this community is wanting to make progress on is focus, then you better bet that's what I'm (laughs) going to deliver. So that's what's brought me to this space of a lot more clarity. And this is pretty recent because, you know, I like to talk about 
so many elements of the multi-passionate experience because there's a lot to it, not just focus. But recently I have chosen, ironically, to focus in on (laughs) teaching about focus because I'm here to really, really support and guide my community. There's nothing that means more to me. And if this is the number one struggle, then this is what we're going to talk about. So that's what's brought me here. And that's a great tip too about, you know, a lot of times we don't know what direction to go in, but literally when that happens, the best thing to do is listen. And that's what you did. And that's a really important tip for those of us that do feel a little lost. Like what are people responding to? What are they saying they're struggling with? How can you kind of cultivate an experience around that? So I love that. I want to get deeper into the focus, but first, could you tell us what your multi-passions are, or at least some of them? Oh my gosh, of course I can. Sure. (laughs) So I love to write. That's definitely really, really, really up there for me. I love writing all kind of forms of um, long, long form writing, short form. I went to college for English and got a degree in creative writing. So writing is definitely up there. I also sing and play the ukulele and compose music. Um, You know, and in my past life, I was like in (laughs) bands and was playing shows all around LA. Um, And and I do really feel that that will come back around um, when it's time. But that is definitely a part of my multi-passionate creativity is writing and composing music. I love to craft and create things with my hands. So that could be, you know, a greeting card or even like some multimedia kind of collage. It could be a little bit of watercolor that I do for fun for myself when I need to unplug. I also love home decor. I love plant care. So those are just some of my fun passions that I do like I said, to kind of break up a lot of the screen time. But on the business side, the the way that my multiple passions tie into my business, I would definitely say the writing element, community building. So just really digging deep into what it means to build a community, how to build a community, keeping my community engaged and, and nurtured and taken care of, super important to me. I love writing. And then the content creation part is a big too. I, I like, I have to rein myself in sometimes because I love making, you know, PDFs and, and updating my website or anything that's like design and content creation. I really, really love it. Like I could probably, you know, if I could go back and get a degree in something else, it would probably be graphic design. So I'm all over the map. Let's dive into focus. What are some of your top tips for somebody who, honestly, this is something I'm dealing with right now. So like I've got so many different things going on. I love all the things. I'm trying to concurrently build all these different careers at once. Mm -hmm. What are your tips to me or somebody like me or even yourself or your community members who are like, you know, juggling all these different things and trying to figure out where the best place to put their focus is? I love this question. Okay. Being a multi-passionate person can be an anchor in your identity. It can be a part of who you are, whether you are putting your passions on display or not. And I think that Mm. that's very, very important to understand because if you identify as a multi-passionate creative and then you start feeling pressure to express all of your passions at the same time, otherwise maybe you're not as multi-passionate as you think, Now you're getting into the territory where that might not actually be serving you. And I know this firsthand because there was a time where I used to do live Sunday serenade sessions where I would um, sing 
to my audience on Instagram. I also at that time had an Etsy shop where I was selling handmade crafts. I was still keeping my blog up and running and I had just started my Facebook group and I was burnt out. I was like, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I actually felt like afraid to put something down because I didn't want people to think I was less multi-passionate. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm actually going to close my Etsy shop and I'm going to be super honest about why, because this is going to help someone else. So that's the first thing is really understanding that being multi-passionate is something, it's almost like you don't even choose it. It's who you are. So that's regardless of whether you have multiple projects running at once or not. So that's the first part. And an analogy that I love to use for that is all of your passions have a seat at the table, even if they don't all speak at once. Mm. Can I ask a quick question about this? Sure. I don't know. I have this thing where I talk to someone and it's like really important for me for them to know all of the things that I love and that I do. Because like you said, it's a piece of who I am. When you closed your Etsy shop, though, did you feel like or did you fear that you were shutting off that part of yourself? And if so, how did you kind of talk yourself off the ledge? I didn't feel like I lost much. I felt like I gained a lot of knowledge. My favorite part of the process was branding. I absolutely loved creating the brand for that Etsy shop. It had its own name, its own Instagram, its own vibe. I love that part of the process. I also realized part of me selling vintage stuff is because I just wanted an excuse to go and shop for vintage stuff that I didn't need. <laughs> so it was like, be real with yourself. And I recognized that. Like, you know, there's a little bit of consumerism happening here. I just want to keep buying up stuff. And my excuse for that was, oh, I get to sell it now. I learned that, you know, creating handmade greeting cards, making artwork, great for Christmas gifts for my family, great for birthday gifts, not something that I'm interested in trying to sell. So I learned so much and I took all of that with me. So right now I have a shop on my website, but it's drop shipping. So, you know, you can order a t-shirt, you can order a sweatshirt, you can order a coffee mug, but I don't have to go to the post office. And I wouldn't have known to do it that way had I not had that experience. And, you know, I still pick up watercolors here and there. I still make handmade gifts for my family. So I don't feel like I lost much, but I will say it was a little bit nerve wracking closing it because more so of like that public appearance of like, Mm. well, you know, it was so impressive that I was doing all of these things or, you know, it was kind of like, that was my identity. I'm multi-passionate. I'm doing all of these things. Like, look, see, like (laughs) I'm singing, I have Etsy, I have this, you know, and I had to, (laughs) I had to really look deep into myself and say, okay, well, wait a minute. What does being multi-passionate mean? Does it mean that I'm working on multiple things at once? Or does it mean that I have many talents from which I can pull from at any time? even if they all go towards one project. So I really had to get deep into like, what Mm. does this actually mean? And so I won't say that I lost part of myself. I'll say I actually gained quite a bit from that experience. Yeah. Well, what I take from it is you took all the lessons and like put that in your grab bag of benefits. And then you looked at what you were gaining time-wise for yourself that was like opening up to you, which was also a benefit. And then you... Like you sound like you kind of in that moment found a way to detach from the ego and engage the soul because the soul doesn't care if you have an Etsy shop. The soul just wants you to expand, right? And so I love that you realize that's still a part of yourself, whether or not there's some sort of external validation of it. Start with 
making sure that you are rooted like at a soul level in what it means to be multi-passionate, regardless of like you just said, which is a beautiful differentiation to make the ego side that might want to like display. And it doesn't mean that you won't work on multiple things, but it means do that from a place of feeling anchored and confident and grounded in that choice. Make sure it's not just so that you can prove to everyone that you can do multiple things. That's the first step. It's a big one, but yeah, <laughs> but that's the first step. What would you advise somebody to do if they, within their path, have lost their focus? This can happen for a multitude of reasons. I mean, just given the state of the world right now, I think we're all struggling with this on some level mm-hmm. with losing focus just based on world events and, and needing space to process that. You know, you could lose focus simply because you have a good friend or family member who's going through something and your heart is really with them and it's difficult to focus on your own work. Um, as a woman, like we have hormones, like mm-hmm. I could lose focus if the, sometimes I just got to call it a day. I'm like, you know what? I just need to cry today. Like, that's it. <laughs> and when that happens, the first thing to do is to forgive yourself. Don't invite shame to that party because it's just going to make everything feel a lot more heavy. Forgive yourself. It's okay. It's okay to lose focus. That's a part of the creative process. So thinking of it that way, thinking of it as part of an overall process and, you know, recognizing the shame that might come up, but then releasing it, acknowledging it, that's really helpful. The next thing that you could do is go back and look at the last project that you brought through to completion. Like this kind of goes back to what we were saying um, a little bit ago with writing down things that you've done in your business to show yourself that you're making progress. But if you lose focus and you're feeling like, what's what's going on with me? Like, why can't I just push through? Go back and look at the last project that you completed and tap into that. That's you. At some point, you had access to the energy that helped you pull that off. You had that focus. Go back and review it and feel that energy. Conjure that energy up tap back into who the version of you that had access to that and feel that because that that is still in you somewhere. And then what Mm -hmm. I love to do, this is so helpful, is create a 90-day season of focus. So let's say, you know, maybe I'll use, Lauren, I'll use you as an example. You're a musician, you know? So you're like, all right, it's time for me to really hunker down and you know, I want to get this EP done, or I want to plan a tour, I want to plan a virtual tour, whatever this looks like for you, right? (laughs) Um, I'm I'm making things up. But if that's what you want to do, it can be really, really helpful to create a 90 day season of focus. Now, the reason I call it season of focus is because seasons change. So knowing that you're going to dedicate the next 90 days to having this be your primary goal and knowing that it's a season. And when the season comes to a close, you'll then be able to pivot, bring in other elements, work on other projects and establish your next season can be so helpful because sometimes we do need to hone in and knowing having that plan. Okay. For the next 90 days, here's what this looks like. There's so many reasons why 90 days is a great sweet spot. So first of all, multi-passionate creatives need an out. We need to know that if something doesn't work, we can pivot. You just put into words something that I could never figure out. 
Well, isn't it so true? We need an out. It's so true. We need an out. I feel trapped. Like anytime I've had to go toward a full-time job, and listen, I'm in one now, so I'm grateful in all that. But anytime I've been in a full-time job, I've been like, this sounds like a torture chamber. What am I going to do? I'm committing to someone. And if I commit to someone, I have to do it all the way. And if I do it all the way, what if I want to do something else? And and it's like this spinning thing. So thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you for that language. Oh, we need an out. And it doesn't even mean that we'll take Why it. Do we need an out though? Why? Okay. So as a multi-passionate creative, just the word focus is a little bit triggering. Niche down, a little bit triggering. Um, <laughs> yes. Because this is not our natural energy. We are so inclusive in our thinking. Multi-passionate creatives are amazing at making connections and having so many ideas for how this could work with this and being super duper inclusive. I also feel like women in general are, are really good in that, are like good at, at being very inclusive with our thinking. But that's a part of the reason why the idea of focusing on one thing or having to do one thing for an ongoing amount of time can feel stifling. Because we like to be very broad in our thinking. And we we also have this sense of like, it's kind of like the question that you asked about the Etsy shop. Like, did I feel like I was losing a part of myself? That's a fear that we have. So we have a fear that if we focus on our music, what happens to the inner writer in us? What happens to the part of us that loves to organize a community? What happens to the part of us that's really good at project management? What happens to the, you know, and we get concerned that focusing or giving attention to this one area of ourselves is going to essentially diminish the other parts. It's a fear that we have. We might not know we have it. We might not say it out loud. But once you dig into your experience as a multi-passionate, typically it's there. So for all of those reasons, we need an out. We need to feel like we're working on this project for a season and we need to know that if our energy no longer aligns, that we have the authority to pivot in a different direction, to bring in some new energy, maybe turn it into a collaboration or a collective project. Maybe there's a part of our creativity that we actually can introduce into that project to make it feel better for us. Or maybe like, honestly, we need to put it down. And just giving yourself that permission as a multi-passionate takes a huge load of pressure off of yourself that you've probably been getting from so many places along your journey, whether you know it or not. So that's why we need the out. We need the out because essentially it helps us to feel more empowered in the choice to start in the first place. Oh, yes. Thank you. So this is why, the, I mean, this is similar to like a quarterly goals kind of situations, but this is just a, a different way to look at it. It's a bit more creative. This doesn't, this can happen any time of year. You can start a 90 day goal in the middle of the month and, you know, you can start a season. It's of less focus. binding. Yeah. Which is what we need. Binding. So create a 90 day season of focus. And I actually created a digital planner called the 90 day focus planner, which supports with this. So it helps with going through the process of what do you want to focus on for those 90 days, making a plan for it, checking in, celebrating along the way. So we can link to it. It's a digital planner that can be printed um, kind of as you need anytime you want to have a 90 day season of focus. But There's so many reasons why 90 days is a sweet spot. One of them is, yes, we need the out. When you have a 90-day goal, you gain experience over the course of that 90 days, which then 
helps you get some energy back towards the end. So when you're mm-hmm. first starting a project, like let's take a, starting a podcast, for example, there's so much that you've got to learn at the beginning, right? You've got to figure out the hosting and the uploading. And I don't have a podcast. So I don't know the technical terms, but you got to figure out so much. And there's like a good amount of friction, you know, probably in that first 30 days where you're figuring a lot out. By the next 30 days, you have skills now that are, developed or maybe you figured out how to automate or maybe there's someone that you know who like sent you a YouTube video and boom it all clicked for you and now it's not there's not as much friction and then by the end of that 90 days you're typically not using the same amount of energy that you were at the start so the beauty in that is now you've got some energy back so at the end of that 90 days you have some energy back where you can go, okay, like this is actually easier than it was when I started. I'm feeling good about this. I have a plan. I have some structure around this. I'm going to now look at how I can start infusing this part of my creativity into this project, or I'm going to look at getting this other project started that I'm really excited about too, that I set to the side during this first 90 day season of focus because you get energy back at the end of those 90 days. So that's why it's such a great sweet spot. First of all, it gives you an out. If at the end of the 90 days, you've checked in with your energy, you've already asked yourself, you know, some qualifying questions or whether or not you're going to keep going. And if it still isn't feeling good, you can find a way to release it. Or Mm. on the flip side, if you're going to keep going with it, the chances are it's probably gotten easier for you and you're using less of your energetic output toward that thing. And then you can start to think about other elements of your creativity that you want to bring in or other projects that you want to start looking back at. So that would really be how I would start off. If you have multiple projects happening at once, can you get maybe one of them to a place where it feels a lot less, like it's taking up less of your energy to create more energetic space for the other project. Um, That would be how I would approach it. Because if you're trying to give equal amounts of energy at the same time to every single project, then you're going to want to be very careful about burning out. And I take that Mm. very seriously. Like that is not something to play with. So we did talk a little bit about shame and shame about being a multi-passionate creative. I'm just going to throw a question at you that I think is one of my least favorite ones to ever receive. Mm. So what do you actually do? (laughs) How do we deal with being shamed for being a multi-passionate creative? How can we protect ourselves energetically, not buy into the other person's derogatory questions like what's your advice for these types of situations that arise from time to time and this will arise like literally from your family (laughs) this will be like your family going that's so great so what so what are you gonna do though you know sometimes they're the worst perpetrators and it's not because they're like oh we hate her it's because they love us and they're trying to protect us yeah but what they need to understand is it's not what we do it's who we are yeah Exactly. And I'm glad that you are willing to call it what it is, which is shame, because I've had some situations where, you know, I've been told, well, no, I I don't feel shame about it. And it's like, okay, that's fair. But I think not allowing yourself to recognize that there is some shame there. Yeah, because why are you talking about it if you don't feel shame? Yeah. Like, if if you really didn't, it would have rolled off you and you would have moved on. Yes. And so I think there is uh, is some shaming and it's something that we do need to talk about. So 
my advice for this is to get really, really grounded in a core of having creative confidence. And in order to do this, it really comes down to seeing being multi-passionate as a good thing yourself. Because if you Mm. don't believe that having many passions is a good thing and that it's to be celebrated, then you're not going to be able to all of a sudden counteract someone saying, so what is it that you actually do with a lot of confidence? Because you're not going to feel confident in it. So really embracing that being multi-passionate is a good thing. Your passions are not distractions. Your passions are not there to make your life confusing. Your passions are there because you genuinely see the value in so many things and you were born with raw talent. Again, I will say this, a multi-passionate creative person is not someone with a lot of interest. We all have a lot of interest. A multi-passionate person is someone who not only has a lot of interest, but they have a lot of raw talent and we tend to learn super quickly. So we literally have a lot of options. Like we have all these options before us. And if you look at that as something as distracting or it's going to slow you down on your journey, or now you don't know how you're going to figure this out. And that's somehow a bad thing. It's going to be really difficult to be rooted in a foundation of creative confidence, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. This is a great example. You know, the phrase, Jack of all trades, master of none. Yes. Ultimate multi-passionate shaming, if we will, uh-huh. right? Like that's like the ultimate, someone's just like, well, you don't want to be a jack of all trades, master of none. Well, let's let's look back into history and let's dig up the full phrase, which I did this for that that first blog post that I mentioned earlier. So the full phrase goes like this. Jack of all trades, master of none, though oftentimes better than master of one. That is the full sentence. That is literally oh. the full sentence. Wow. I just got chills. So when this phrase was widely used and when it was coined was when people were still living in smaller villages. And in those villages, everyone kind of had their vocation. So you had the bread maker, the shoemaker, you know, the milkmaid, you had these professions. And if your town already had one, and that's also what you did, and you didn't know how to do anything else, you were out of work. So that penultimate statement at the end, though oftentimes better than master of one, was to say, if you knew how to do multiple things, you were actually going to be more valuable to your community and have more likelihood of being able to care for yourself and your family. Because if your town already had a shoemaker, but you also knew how to you know, make bread, then you could still find work. So Still true. <laughs> Still true. And if you think about technology, AI technology, and the way that the world is changing and the way that jobs are being replaced, the thing that will never be replicated by a robot or by AI is creativity. It won't be able to do it. So just take that and let that start to build your confidence of like, hell yeah, you know what? I'm super valuable. I have so many talents. Like I have options. I can live this, this, This one lifetime, I can live and I can experience so much. I'm so excited to dive into what it means to have all these passions, to have all these talents. That's step number one. Get there. Get to that place. Get to that confidence space. Here's a quick exercise for cultivating more creative confidence. And and just to bring everyone back, because I am kind of rambling on, we're answering the question of how do you deal with that shame? How do you deal with someone saying, so what do you actually do? So this is in response to that as being the first step, which is to cultivate that creative confidence. So 
write down all your passions on a sheet of paper. Chances are you may have never done this because you are almost hiding from all the passions that you have. Write them down, put them in front of you, look at them. But here's the biggest part of this exercise. As you're writing down all the things that you're passionate about, smile. Smile as you are writing. This is going to feel like an internal hug. Mm. This is going to feel like you are programming your brain to literally see your passions as a good thing. Do this exercise, I promise you. It's almost hard to describe how it feels, but it feels freaking good. It feels so good. So write down your passions and as you're writing them, smile. That's step one. Step two, look at those passions of yours and assign a value to each one. So for example, I love to sing and compose music because I value our ability to connect the universal human emotion. I love to write. I love to write blog posts because I value being able to share information with many people and being able to share what I know and my learnings in a way that can support someone else. So now you've done two things. You've written down all your passions while smiling, which is just going to, I can't even describe it. It's just going to feel really good. It's like a brain hack or something. And now you've looked into how are these passions aligning with the values that make you the person that you are. So they're no longer just a bunch of interests or a bunch of things that are distracting you or these things you've got to sort through and how are you going to do it? And if only you could just niche down, you'd be, forget all of that. Now you're seeing for real what this is. This is who you are. It's beautiful. This is how you're meant to be. Mm. So dig into that confidence. That's step one. And then step two in terms of the shame and someone asking you, you know, so what is it you do? I like to call it your and sentence. Practice your and sentence. And what that means is literally practice answering this question. Practice it out loud. So if someone says, hey, Joy, so what do you do? I say, I'm a blogger, content creator, and community builder. And when I'm not working on content and need to unplug, I sing and play the ukulele. That's my short and sweet answer. And I practice that. Mm. Get that down. Just get your and. I say and because there's going to be at least one and in there <laughs> as a multi-passionate creator. You're a slasher, yeah. Get your, yeah, get your and sentence down so that you can deliver it. And if you want to start with saying, you know, well, actually, I'm multi-passionate. I'm a multi-passionate creative. So I do a blend of different things. And here's what that looks like. Go ahead. Let people know. Let people know what's up. If they're uncomfortable with this, if they want to pry more, then also be aware that it's not your job to keep other people comfortable. It's not your job. A lot of times people want us to identify the one thing that we're into so that they can then sort you in their mind as you do that and they can move on. It's for their convenience and their comfort. And that ain't got nothing to do with you. Let them be uncomfortable. Let them ask follow-up questions. Let them try to understand more of who you are. And if they don't, they don't then they're not your people. If it's your family, that's different. I'm not saying your family's not your people. But, you know, you could say, well, actually, I'm multi-passionate. So, and you can even say, I know, I know, I know what you mean. What do I actually do? But I'm in this really cool place in my life where I'm figuring out how to merge all of this together to create a personal brand because I really, really, really feel like there's a space for all of this. Practice, 
Practice answering that question. See what different answers feel like in your body. Say it out loud, talk into a mirror. But that shame has a lot to do with that other person's comfort. And we have to get to a place in ourselves where our comfort, our confidence, and how we feel about ourselves becomes more important than our desire to keep other people comfortable. Those exercises are really great. And then I also have a free workbook that I would love to gift you as well as anyone listening who wants to dive a little bit deeper into some of these practices. Um, And it's my Finding Focus workbook. So it'll take you through just not so much that, that creative confidence piece, but it will take you through some exercises about kind of helping to reprogram your subconscious around focus and start to really see that there is a way to embrace your multiple passions without feeling like they are, again, like this distraction or something that's holding you back from success. So we'll make sure that we link to that because it does take a bit of work. You know, this is not the mainstream advice yet. I think we are kind of moving into more of an inclusive mindset around this. It's easy to say, oh, yeah, just learn how to focus and, you know, have creative confidence. But there is work involved. And that's why I create content that can support with that. So definitely happy to share Oh, that is so wonderful. Thank you, Joy. Mm -hmm. So you recently, and you have also an amazing email list, which I highly recommend people join. And uh, a newsletter is what we would call Mm -hmm. it, I guess. But you recently sent out an email about creating a platform or a business that's grounded in purpose. Can you speak a little bit to that, what you mean by that and how to go about doing that? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. So thank you for being on my list and opening my emails, first of all. They're really good. But that email was sent really from a space of going through this heightened racial tension that we are experiencing experiencing together as a society. I am a Black female business owner. And so I feel like I have an opportunity because my audience is so diverse. I have an opportunity to speak to an audience of creatives that come from all backgrounds and walks of life. And I'm super humbled by that opportunity because I have a connection with my community where I know if I come from my authentic place, it will be received and heard. So I really wrote this email coming from a space of, We are creative, you know, entrepreneurs, business owners, side hustlers, whatever realm we're in. And yet, you know, racism is not going to end from like a two week Instagram hashtag trend. We know this. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen that way. 
there's so much work to be done on so many fronts when it comes to how we are going to move forward with protecting Black lives, honoring Black lives, and being more inclusive all around. So all communities and and really understanding what that means and what that looks like. And yet, we're still going to want to produce content and, and share our work with the world. So as I was sitting at my desk to write this email, I'm like, okay, how are we going to get back to a place where we feel okay just sharing our own content? But if we can ground our platforms in purpose, if we have done this reflection of what it looks like to hand over our platform to a worthy cause, you know, without being super stressed out about our own brand identity and all of that. Like if we can move to a place where we have that foundation, then it becomes a lot more manageable to still create the work that we want to create, to still create the work that may or may not be like paying our bills, but also knowing that we are rooted and grounded in purpose, meaning that we are also going to do the work that we need to do inside of our business and beyond to help with this feel what feels like for me, like an an eternity of injustice as a black person. And so the question was, the premise was like, you know, we're all going to get back to posting our own content at some point. We're not all going to keep talking about the Black Lives Matter movement forever, unless that's what our platform was founded on to begin with, right? And there are plenty of amazing experts and educators where that is their work. And we we want to honor those those experts and honor the those people who've been working this their lives work and that's their purpose and they feel really empowered by sharing that message. What we don't want to do is expect every single black creative to all of a sudden be an expert on race. Mm-hmm. We don't want to marginalize black creatives by forcing them into a space where now all of a sudden we're all here to talk about racial racial issues. And the same way for anyone else who owns a business, if you're a business, if you're in the business of teaching Instagram strategy, should you be also expected to talk about racial injustice on an ongoing basis? It's that's not really how this works. And if we try to pretend like that's what's going to happen, then we're all going to miss the mark because it's not what we're actually doing in our businesses. But there are elements that we can start to tie into how we do business that can be ongoing. So this looks like researching the platforms that you're using in your business. So looking at you know all of the people you're giving money to, that scheduling system that you're paying for the kind of equipment that you're doing affiliate marketing for, brands, when they reach out to you and they want to do brand deals, asking those questions. Do you have an ethics statement? Do you have a diversity statement I can look at? I want to let you know that I'm only willing to partner with brands who are actively anti-racist and have an action plan within their business. Is there someone you can point me to? Is this something you plan on doing? Ask those questions. Be accountable moving forward in your business to seek that out. And it might be your question that goes, that creates a ripple effect of that, you know, that brand going, oh my goodness, you know what? Like, thank you. We need to actually put that together. That's okay. We got to start where we are. A lot of brands, they, they've not really had to think about race because that's the definition of privilege when it's not an issue for your life. Um, and you have the privilege and the opportunity to 
just live a life where it's not an issue for you. But that's not the case anymore. We have reached a new paradigm. No one's safe from this anymore. And this is why I am hopeful that there will be some change because now it's all of our problem and not just a black person's problem, right? Yeah. And it's time to recognize that we're all connected and one person's pain isn't just their pain. It's shared throughout the collective, throughout the string that attaches us all as human beings. And I think that people have been cutting that string before and thinking there were no repercussions for that. And there are dire, I mean, people's lives are literally on the line, but your soul's also on the line here. Yep, exactly. And I love what you're saying too. It's like, also think something I realized is like, use the talents you already have to help make things better. If you are a singer, sing. Mm -hmm. I was really grateful that Instagram has this platform where they allow you to do a live fundraiser and there's like no passing of money. Like I didn't take any, I did a concert on there. Mm-hmm. There's no money that passed my hands. It went directly to the organization. That's so cool that we have the ability to do things like that. And yeah. I think, yeah, I, I love this statement because it's true. Like not all of us maybe are natural born activists, but we can do things in our own lives in the way we yes. conduct our own business and the people we partner with, making sure that they're of the same integrity and moral code as we are and that yep. they're actively trying to make things better for people of color, for women, for people in the LGBTQIA community. We have the power to make really good choices for ourselves and the people we interact with. So that, that email and that philosophy meant a lot to me. And I think that is a way to make true change going forward rather than just like posting something and being done with it. It's yeah. like, how are you going to actually live your life and make your creativity of service? Exactly. And this can look like, so a project that I'm working on now, and I'm actually doing it along with a friend so that we hold each other accountable and can bounce ideas off of each other is I'm creating an ethics page on my website so that anyone who comes to my website and wants to, you know, invite me to do this or partner with me on that, I can just say, this sounds really great. Please review my ethics page and let Mm. me know if you would still like to move forward. And my ethics page is going to state, Joy Knows How LLC is a platform that is for everybody. It is actively anti-racist. It supports the LGBTQIA community. It supports black lives. Like it's important for me to have that front and center somewhere on a link where people can see like, this is what I'm about. And if you're Mm -hmm. not about it, not a problem, but I will not associate with you. So I think that's just one small step that anyone with the website can take. Create an ethics page that says straight up, here's who I am. Here's who I serve and here's who I, what I stand for. And if you're not comfortable with this, like I invite you to, you know, to find someone else for your collaboration or your partnership, because this is very important to me. Do it how you want to do it. It could be gorgeous or it could be a YouTube video where you just say all this out loud, you know, that you link on a page on your website. Find a creative way to do this. I think it's so important for us to remember that just like what you said, there's always a space for creativity. There's always a space to be creative to bring creativity to anything that we're doing. So I love that you did a concert and used your creativity to help make a change, you know? And then I I just want to say to this as well, a part of grounding our platforms in purpose is holding our inner circle accountable. Mm -hmm. So if I'm seeing someone partner with someone who I know has a history of doing harm to the Black community, I'm going to say something you know, to my friend or my colleague, I'm going to say, are you aware of this before you move forward with this? I just want to make sure you know that you're aware of this. That's all I can do. 
I can hold someone else accountable. I can't do their work for them, but I can hold them accountable with as much love as I can. It's so important for us to remember to consider our most immediate circle of influence. This can really happen one conversation at a time in terms of there's a lot of talk about like allyship and being an ally. And one of the things that I think is the most profound is like if you are a person who lives with privilege, so if you're a white person and you know that you live with privilege just by default, reach out to those in your community who are black or who are people of color and just let them know that you are absolutely okay with being called out on your privilege. Just that Mm -hmm. alone, just saying like, hey, I know this might sound a little bit weird, but I'm very aware that I can't see my privilege at all times. And if I ever am exercising that privilege in a way that affects you or that you you see it, I just want to let you know, please like call me out on it. I might not take it the best. I might cry. It might be hurtful for me to have to see that part of myself, but I'm just asking you not to educate me or teach me about it. I can do that on my own, but please call me out. Right. Just start there. Start on, start with that open-hearted space. Like, listen, I'm new to this work or whatever that looks like, but I want to let you know within this friendship, I respect and honor you enough. Like you can call me out, you know? Right. And, and this can happen with any race. It's not even white to black or anything like that. Like, here's a fun example of this. <laughs> I was talking to my friend. She's also a black, uh, oh, my uh, the woman who did my website. Amazing. Her name is Janelle. So we were talking and I was bragging about how nice my boyfriend's hair is because since quarantine, his hair got really long and it's like beautiful and soft and curly. And I was like, oh, well, maybe if we have a baby, like the baby would have like a mixed child hair. And I've always wanted like a baby that had hair like a mixed person. And she was like, I'm going to stop you right there because right now you are fetishized. You are you are kind of like putting a fetish on the texture of a mixed person's hair over like the thick texture of your hair as a full black person. And she's like, do you see how that could be problematic? That is what friendship looks like. Because I was like, I do see how that could be problematic. Let me check myself and see what where where that's alive in me. Let me evaluate that. Thank you. And I thanked her for calling me out on that. She was coming to you with love. I mean, I think that's the thing. People think that if somebody calls out something in you that's racist or sexist or homophobic, that that means you are branded as that. No, you did a race or you said a racist thing. It doesn't mean you have to live in that label forever. You can be actively anti-racist, try to figure out how you got to the place where you believe that and deconstruct it within yourself. The shame you feel for doing something or saying something that is hurtful to a particular group isn't the same as being shamed for it. Yeah. And so I think that's a hard thing to kind of like decode in your head, but it's worth it because it can literally save people's lives and it makes us more human. Yeah. So thank you for having these tough discussions because it does, it's it's everywhere. It's not just in our personal interactions. It's clearly in our businesses, in our creativity. And the more we can be aware of it and the more we can be actively working to make a platform that is truly inclusive the better we're all going to be. So Exactly. So let's ground our platforms in purpose. And let's, you know, those are some starter ideas. And one of the best ways to support the Black community is as well to, you know, invest in the work of Black educators. For example, 
it could be something as simple as if you always watch a yoga instructor who's white on YouTube and that's just your go-to, what if today you went and you looked up a black yogi and you took a class by them instead? What if you did that? You know, and what if it was lovely and you loved it and you're helping to expand that person's reach? So it's just it's just really grounding your platform and purpose and embracing this inclusive mindset and a part of the way to support the black community beyond the amplify black voices movement is to like look at us for our areas of expertise not just to speak about race or you know racial issues so a perfect example is our interview you know i got to speak about everything that i work on the work of my you know my particular field which is multi-passionate creativity I'm happy to to touch on inclusivity like this, especially because it's become a part of my messaging over the past couple of weeks. But I have turned down several opportunities to to talk on panels and things like that because they wanted to invite me on solely to talk about race. And I'm not comfortable with that because there are so many people who that is their area of expertise. They've been waiting for this opportunity. So, you know, go and find those those amazing experts and, and give them the platforms that they've been wanting to if that's what you want to talk about. Otherwise, you know, make sure that as you are amplifying Black voices or looking to add more inclusiveness to your own platforms, do your due diligence. See what that person is an expert on first. Like, see what they want to talk about. Don't right. don't decide for them that they're going to come and talk about, you know, something that isn't, isn't in their wheelhouse. So I think that that's really important. And most importantly, we're having these conversations. So the least we can do is just ground our platforms in purpose so that if a global event happens, we're not freaking out that we're maybe going to post something different that doesn't fit our brand. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, if you're grounded in purpose, that don't matter as much. <laughs> like, yeah, you're not know who you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, you just you are who you are. And you have this this foundation of, you know, running an ethical, an ethical and conscious business. So if you have, you know, a few subscribers on YouTube and you're singing songs, it doesn't matter. Like that's still influence. That's still your platform. Mm -hmm. You don't need to have a huge, a huge stage in order to have an audience. So we all have an opportunity right now. One of the main goals of this podcast is to help people redefine their relationship with fear and take it out of the driver's seat. So it's not making decisions for them. So I'm curious to know what is your current relationship with fear And how do you actively work on taking it out of the driver's seat of your life? Mm, Wow, that's a great question. I like to look at fear as almost like when you're on a road trip and you're driving somewhere and then there's like that sign that says, oh, this, this city's coming up in, you know, 10 miles. I almost look at fear like that. It's like you're getting real close. Keep going in this direction because that Fear tends to be our subconscious wanting to hold on so tight to what we know because it's just afraid of something different. And it can feel that we're moving towards a shift and we're moving towards something that's going to actually change us. And so I do my best to look at fear as almost like a, a guidepost that's saying, yeah, come toward me. Let's go. I like to become curious about what's on the other side of the fear. Mm. And I have a, a mantra that 
a mentor gave to me, which has always stayed with me, which is confidence is the result of action. So one of the most powerful ways to begin to transmute fear and to see what's on the other side of it is to act, (laughs) is to like, just do it, do it anyway, even though you might feel fear. My biggest fear right now is around lack of energy. Like, will I actually have the energy to pull this off? Am I going to be able to see this through? Am I still going to want to stick with this? And so when I think about those things out loud, a lot of the fear rests in the future. Mm. So it's like afraid of how I'm going to feel in the future because it's the unknown because I can't feel that in this moment. And so for me, it goes into a space of like, okay, so what is this fear calling out of me? What does this fear need from me in order to feel loved and comforted so that it can transform and transcend into its, its, its other state, its higher state on the other side of that fear. And for me, it's trust. If I can exercise trust, trust that I will have access to whatever energy I need at the time when I need it. Trust that everything's happening in its own perfect timing trusting that there is no rush and that I can't go too slow because this is all divine. That really, really helps with the fear. But this is like, I would say a daily thing. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think at one point I thought like one day I will become just the same way we talked about like being healed. Like one day I'll become fearless and nothing will matter anymore. And I'll go after all my dreams. But it's like, yeah, that's why, again, that's why we're here. That's why we're on the physical plane. That's why we're human. We're figuring it out. And it's never like, snap, I'm done with that. You know, it's like a constant kind of whittling away. But I love this idea of asking what the fear wants to be. Like almost like it's a root that like, if if you let it grow, it could, the way it is now, it could grow into a weed, but you could also like sprinkle some magic on it and make it grow into a beautiful garden or maybe a succulent. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's such a great image. Like I've never thought about what my fear is trying to inform me of, or like what the positive emotion it could be of it. What's on the other side of that fear? Who are you on the other side of that fear? And yeah, what does that fear want to transform into you could definitely think of fear almost like um maybe it's almost like when you have a flower and it it doesn't bloom yet it just looks like a green stalk it's like what's Mm going to come out of that you know and if you catch it in time you know you can have some influence you can have some influence over what that fear becomes especially if there's fears that come up over and over and over it's Mm -hmm. like hmm are you trying to tell me something? Are you on a journey of, of your next best self, my, my beautiful little fear? And just loving the fear. Your fear is there because it wants to protect you. It loves you. It's like, I am scared. I'm scared because right now we're okay. And if you do this, I don't know where we're going to be. It's scared. It's like a little child that's just like, I'm not sure about this. But what's on the other side of that fear? Beautiful. So I have a final question. And it's actually like a two-part, there's an A and a B section. Okay. Um, I believe creativity is deeply connected to the inner child. And so I'm wondering if you and a younger version of yourself, whatever age you think of her as, um, were standing in the same room and you were looking at each other, you in your body today and this younger version of you were both looking at each other. 
What do you think the younger you would say to you now and why? Uh, I think the younger me would look at me and say, good job, keep going. I am extremely proud of the fact that I have been able to take something that was really holding me back in life, which was feeling shameful about being multi-passionate, feeling confused, feeling like my passions were distractions. And instead of letting that continue on, I decided to embrace it and have since created community and become an educator in this space. I'm super duper humbled by that. And I think my younger self would be like, hell yeah, keep going, like keep going. Because this is what this is what I would have wanted when I was younger was to have access to this this sense of confidence and this sense of knowing who I am and being okay with it. So that's what I yeah, that's what I think she would say. And what would you say to her and why? I would say I will keep going and I would just remind her that she is so loved and so divinely perfect exactly how she is. So to really feel like I am lovable no matter what, I am worthy no matter what, Um, whether I got 10 things done today or whether I laid in the bed all day, I am worthy. I am so loved, you know, to really feel that way, I think is so powerful. And I don't quite have that all figured out. I think that's a part of the ongoing journey, but that's definitely when I do speak to my inner child. And if I was speaking to her, that would be my number one message is like, don't let anything in the life that you're going to live and grow up to experience, take this truth away from you. You are so divinely perfect and so loved. And that is a non-negotiable. That's it. There's no, but if that's it. Thank you for listening and thanks to our amazing guest, Deanna Joy of Joy Knows How. For more info on Joy, check her out at joy, J-O-I dot knows, K-N-O-W-S dot how, H-O-W on Instagram and go to her website, joy dash knows dash how dot com. She has an amazing 90-day focus planner that she referred to earlier in the episode if you want to start a 90-day season of focus. And she's got some great courses on there and some incredible merch that I definitely want to get my hands on, including shirts and hats that say multi-passionate creative and my favorite creative AF. So check that out. Thanks to Liz Full for writing the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you liked what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. If you do post on social media, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. If you haven't already listened to my new song, Like a Bomb, check it out. It is on all music streaming platforms. My wish for you this week is that you see all of your passions as a gift, not a burden. You are multi-passionate, multifaceted, and when you own the fullness of who you are, you help others do the same. I love you, and I believe in you. Talk soon. <laughs>